Hi everybody, my name is Danny Grant, and I would like to welcome you to the studio's first episode of 2016. This is the place where I interview and talk shop with other professional artists, and we get a glimpse into their daily lives as professional artists. My purpose with this show is to hear how other artists are making a living in this field and just basically talk about the things that artists go through and think about on a daily basis when dealing with their careers. On this episode of the studio, I welcome artist Hollis Dunlap. Hollis is one of those artists whose work I became familiar with through the magic of the World Wide Web. Uh, I don't remember when or where exactly I saw his work for the first time, probably Facebook, um, but I remember when I saw it, it grabbed my attention immediately. The draftsmanship was so masterful, and the values in all his work is just its so right. It's just so good. Um, I just, I love the way he breaks up space in his pictures, and his sense of design is just really great. Um, so I'm, I'm obviously a big fan of his work, and so I was really excited when Hollis agreed to be on the show. So without further ado, uh, please enjoy my interview with Hollis Dunlap. Okay, hey Hollis, how's it going? Good, how are you? I'm really good. Thanks a lot for doing this, man. Appreciate it. Um, so Hollis, you are in Connecticut? Yes. Uh, what part? I live in New London, Connecticut, which is, um, you know, it's really like right in between New York and Boston. It's a kind of coastline. It's a really, uh, how do I describe it? It used to be like a whaling city, but now it's more, you know, the Coast Guard Academy is here. Um, like electric cool. boat is here. Or they build at the, or right across the river here. They build like the nuclear submarine. So it's kind of a military town, I guess. But there's a lot of, it's also a kind of poor town there's a lot of artists and musicians here it's one of the more affordable cities and to live in around here it's not a real i wouldn't really say it's a city it's more of a big town but uh-huh. so i'm here at least for now <laughs> uh, okay did you grow up there or no i grew up in vermont cool um and so what took you to connecticut so you're you're involved with the lime academy right Is yeah that... i'm not really now but i Oh, okay. I went there, so and I it it was in the '90s. It was a really, I wouldn't say it was exactly like like Grand Central Academy, but it was closer to that. It was a very academic, painting drawing focused school um, mm-hmm. at the time. It's still a great school. It's just a different school now. It's a little more broad. They kind of changed a few things there over the years. You know, since they started granting a degree. But uh, when I was, uh, when okay. I was there, and that necessary, you know, it's hard to keep your strict, real classical painting focus if you're going to have a BFA. Mm-hmm. So that's an interesting thing. But uh, I went there when it was very, you know, it was figure painting, figure drawing, I, and I was able to do a lot of that and kind of really focus on that and really do a minimum of other stuff. You know, and I still got a degree. I really went there at a great time because they had just started granting the degree, but you could still really, you kind of direct your study really towards figure drawing if that mm-hmm. you wanted to, which is what I did. That's great. Yeah. Um. So what I like to do is is talk to each artist about their daily schedule and just right. I, I just find it interesting how different people spend their time, and of course it. It depends on a lot of different things, what the different kinds of, you know, if you're teaching or if you've got a family or, or whatever's going on. So can you tell us what that looks like for you on a, what's your basic daily schedule like? Sure. Um, well, it does change, but generally, um, I mean, I get up, I wake up as soon as it's light, but sometimes I can't drag myself out of bed until 8 a.m. But All right. I mean, I wake up early. I, I, I go through times where I just don't sleep. And then it's like it's always been a thing with me. And then I'll be better for a few days. So, um, but generally I get up and get coffee. <laughs> it's my mm-hmm. first essential thing. Yeah. Like today I didn't get painting until like 11 a.m., which was, okay. wasn't really what I wanted to do. But generally I like to be painting by at least 10 a.m. Um, mm-hmm. Like if I have a model 
that changes a little because the lighting in my studio is really weird. Like this is it's one of the reasons I've been wanting to get a new studio lately because it's like kind of southeast in here. So these bright shafts of light come in in the morning, mm-hmm. which is a nightmare to try to paint. So right. I do try to paint them occasionally, but generally I don't. And I so I usually when I have a model here, I start painting around 1 p.m. Okay. And I'll just paint for as long as they can stay until it. This time of year is a little harder because it's dark by like 4:30. Okay, so so obviously you're you're always working with natural light. Or? I prefer natural light. I I okay. like I don't mind artificial light, but it's a little bit. I natural light is I I understand it a little more. It seems like the in when I use natural light, I feel like the colors that I'm looking at are kind of what I want to paint with. Sometimes mm-hmm. it depends on the light bulb with the artificial. Yeah. Like, I, I painted yesterday at the studio in Lyme with Jack, and um, we had a model there, and we had an artificial light. It actually looked pretty good. It looked better than I thought it would. But lately, I've really not wanted to use artificial lights. I just prefer natural light by far. It's just, I, I feel like the problem with artificial lights is they generally isolate the model too much from the surroundings. Mm, right. It's like... I like the same, put them on a spotlight. Exactly. Yeah. I like the same yeah. light source on the model that's hitting the wall behind the model, for example. So, mm-hmm. so anyway, I, you know, I lately I have a model. Well, I was doing, I was having a model probably twice a week at my studio for the past like two years. Um, oh, cool. but um, lately I haven't been doing that as much. Um, you know, it's kind of been sporadic lately. Um, but that's like a general thing that I like is to have a model at least twice a week if I can afford to do it. Um, mm-hmm. And that's usually from three to six hours sitting, you know, depending on how much money I want to spend. Uh, yeah. You know, I have friends that model for me also, um, but I don't do that as much lately. I prefer to pay somebody because then I feel like I can make them, you know, put them in a harder pose. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, you definitely feel like it changes the dynamic a lot, I feel, mm-hmm. if if you're not paying them. <laughs> well, for sure. I, I mean, I have a couple friends that are happy to sit for me. Um, you know, I, it depends on who it is, though. It's, you know, some people are easier to work with, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so, yeah, I like and I work from I mean, I'll work till midnight sometimes. Um, like last night, I worked I painted from a model for six hours. Then I, in a different studio, then I got back, there's a studio in Old Lyme where I teach at, at the Lyme Art Association, which I rent the studio there. And we had a model there yesterday for six hours, which is nice. And then I came back here and painted here for about three hours, and then I was exhausted. So, Um, Cool. I do like to work at night here, though, on occasion, even though, it's not so much that I don't like artificial light. It's more like I don't love the spotlight thing on the model. I like like I I like painting interiors a lot, like kind of interior scenes. And, mm-hmm. You know, I've done a lot of those in my studio here, um, and I'll start working at like eight p.m. and I'll work until midnight. You know, my general thing though is I paint from between like ten a.m. to like five p.m. That's my usual. Okay. You know, prefer. And are you teaching right now also, or like a regular schedule, or is it just workshops? Um, I teach a painting class here once a week. And at your home studio? No, I teach it at okay. Lime at the studio there at the Lime Art oh. Association. We um, okay. It's, it's been around since like 1902. Um, a lot of like. You know, there's kind of a connection to like the old Lyme impressionists from like the 1800s there, which is kind of oh cool. So yeah, some really good painters, like painters like Frank Dumond who trained in Paris. You know, like really good. That's awesome. Yeah, really good painters like J. Alden Weir lived in Lyme for a while, um, painted there. So it allows me to kind of go in, set up the model, Um, and what I do is I just do it in like blocks of ten ten week classes. Cool. I do it. Like the next one, I'm starting January 6th, and we have a six-hour pose every Wednesday. Um, so it's a nice long pose. People can come in there and paint. Um, and That's great. And they, you said that you just rent out the space there? Yeah, rent out the I rent out the space, so I pay, cool. and it's a pretty reasonable fee for the space. 
Mm -hmm. um, and I pay the model, you know, but, um, and the students pay me and that's Mm -hmm. the last few years it's worked really well. Um, so other, so that's the regular class I'm doing and I do workshops, obviously. Usually I do about three a year. Uh, Okay. So this next year so far, I've got, I've got probably two on the schedule, maybe a third. Uh, but I think, you know, I kind of have, I have to start doing a little more of that, you know, I, you know, until at least I decide to, to kind of really focus on going back to school, which I'd like to do. Um, I just don't want to pay any money <laughs> to do it, you know, so I want to find some place that's cheap where I can still get, get another degree. Uh, yeah. Well, so, uh, do you mind talking about what kind of places you're looking at or, or, and also what, why is, what's the motivation behind well, that? Well, I like, I like being in a class, you know, I like that yeah. critique environment, you know, it's something that's just exciting to me. Um, it would also let me teach at schools, you know, I wouldn't have to worry about right. a okay. person who maybe isn't as good as me is still having a better resume. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I personally just don't really care, but a lot of colleges do care. Well, yeah, it's, it, yeah, it's definitely required. Yeah. So I, I just love, I love being in class though. I like to, have somebody else kind of like you know you should really be doing this i like that part of it so assume as long as there's somewhat of a realist school i'm not going to just completely go go crazy but i you know i like that environment Mm -hmm. how do you think are you do you worry about how it would go with with instructors that you're you know most likely going to be better than you know um (laughs) not really um (laughs) yeah I mean, I had, you know, I even, I think if you have that attitude, then you're kind of, you probably shouldn't be in the school. It's kind of like, because right. I kind of dealt with that the first time I went to school. I was definitely a better painter than probably, you know, you know, nine out of 10 instructors that I had there, you know, I mean, there was a few, I think, you know, my, there was a few that were clearly better than me at the time, but I mean, I was, I was also 19 years old, you know, but there were mm-hmm. some that I was definitely a better painter than, but that still had a lot of good input, a lot of good feedback. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That, that's, that's the wrong way to look at it. There's, there's certainly still a lot to learn from people who yeah. are maybe not executing as well as you. Yeah, I think that I, I, there's, you know, like when I was at Lyme, you know, like my best color teacher there, I didn't really respect him as a painter when I was there. I thought this guy sucks. I can paint paint circles around this guy, but he knew a lot, you know, and he actually ended up helping me more than probably anyone else there as far as using color. Mm-hmm. My anatomy teacher, my drawing teacher, Dean Keller, on the other hand, was way better than me. And I kind of like was in denial of that, you know, <laughs> kind of just didn't listen to him for a while. And now, of course, now he's dead, so I kind of wish now. Luckily, Jack has been putting all his old videos online to watch them. And, I mean, Dean was like, you know, he was like my best friend at at the time, too, you know, so we were very close. But I definitely could have, I kind of used my ability to draw to avoid kind of really studying anatomy, for example. Mm -hmm. I could get away with it because I was able to observe really closely, but he, I definitely wish I had listened to him a little bit more, you know. Uh, right. you know, it was, it was, it was kind of, you know, I had a, I had a little bit of an ego, you know, at the, and, <laughs> and I feel like I'm a little more, I, I can recognize that now. And at the time I was kind of insecure. Well, yeah. I mean, it's kind of that age too, I think. Yeah. It's hard to admit, okay, this guy's just better than me. He knows <laughs> when everybody's telling you you're great all the time, then all of a sudden you have to just say, you know, that I just need to pay attention <laughs> here, you know, take right. some notes. Right. And I didn't really do that. You know, I wish I had, but that's okay. I mean, you can't change it. But, um, yeah. yeah, I definitely don't mind that, though. I, I, I would try, though, to go to a school where there was a teacher who I really liked their work, at least, you know. Uh, right. Because you don't want to study with somebody who's got completely different ideas than you. You know, I'd like to at least study with someone who at least respects realist art, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, So I don't know where that'll be. There's a few places out there that like, you know, someplace like New York Academy, I'd like to go there, but it's so so expensive. I don't know. But, you know, there's, I mean, my friends, I have friends that teach there, so maybe I'll inquire about it at some point. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
Yeah, I think it's. I think Michael Grimaldi's there right now, and I'm sure there's a number of great. Yeah, he's great artists. He's really good. I, I like him a lot. I don't really know him, but although we kind of cross paths on like social media now and then, but right. um, I, I definitely like the way he draws. Uh, he's excellent. So. Um. So, let's see. So your studio is is at your home, right? Yeah. I mean, I work. Okay. I work at least. Your main studio. Yeah, my main studio is here. I work like once a week in the one in Old Lyme, but yeah, my main okay. studio is here. You can't see it now, but it's a total mess. <laughs> I really need a new space. It's been kind of a struggle lately. I literally have like 300 paintings in here. Wow. Just stacked up everywhere. Yeah. There's a path into the bedroom. <laughs> you like wake up at night, you really have to be careful like not to knock stuff over. It's, it's like, it's really crazy. Um, so, you know, that has its drawbacks, you know, but it's what I do. For right. Course, so. Um, so is, is there a plan for, for all that work as far as getting it out there or, yeah. you know, selling it or is it kind of, I have galleries. I mean, I, I used to, for 10 years, I worked at the gallery in New York, mm-hmm. but I, I actually quit with them like a year and a half ago. Just be, I don't know if that was the best idea, but I did. It was just, it didn't seem like. You know, I felt like I got the best I could out of that relationship, and it wasn't really getting better. You know, they were a little bit... I just didn't feel like they were really excited about what I was doing in the right mm-hmm. way. So I've now I've been looking for a new one. Up until now, I haven't found a new one there. It can be really hard in New York because they're so... They want new, exciting, crazy. And for somebody like... If you're viewed as like a conservative artist, it's not necessarily what they want. But I'm hope, hoping to find something else at some point. Um, but I have other guys. Ga- I mean, I have a gallery in Miami that's a beautiful space. Uh-huh. I had a show last year. I have a gallery in San Francisco that is really great, and one in Denver that's really great. So, uh, okay. You know, What's the gallery in San Francisco? CK Contemporary. Oh. They're on Geary Street. They're probably, I don't know. I don't really know San Francisco that well. I guess they're mm-hmm. like a downtown area that. I've never had a show there though. I just send them paintings like when I Okay. But I'd like I need to talk to them about doing something cuz I kind of feel San Francisco's a great place to show right now. There's a lot of money there. So mm-hmm. I'm actually working on a couple paintings for them. Um you know, and I have like it's weird like every gallery is a little different, you know, but I I this is the first time in about 10 years where I haven't I don't have a show on my schedule right now. And okay. I definitely need to get something soon, so I don't kind of start to get nervous about it. Uh, is, is that the way that you've sold most of your work? Is, is doing like a painting for a show, and then the show sells? And yeah, it's a little of both. I usually like in New York, you know, when I would have a show there, you know, I would do the, like between twenty and thirty paintings, mm-hmm. and they would usually sell, you know, maybe ten of them. You know, okay. over the course, yeah. over the course of like six months. You know, I usually sell three or four at the opening, uh-huh. so it wasn't like I was selling out. You know, uh, right? I've never done that. It's like the way I paint is just, I just don't paint so much paintings necessarily that I think will sell. Occasionally I do. Occasionally I think, oh, this has a chance of selling, but that doesn't always happen. You know, mm-hmm. last show in New York, this has happened like three times now where my least favorite paintings were the first ones that sold. <laughs> and, like, for example, the show that I had in Miami last year, my favorite paintings in that show still haven't sold. You know, well, the ones that I think are the best, that I thought were the most saleable, still haven't sold. So that was really strange, you know. It was kind of hmm. a weird thing. You just never... Have you, have you identified anything about the ones that sold that maybe is a yeah. something a thread that runs through all of them or yeah well i haven't sold as many big ones lately that's one thing in okay new york i used to sell big ones in miami it's a little maybe a little harder to sell really big ones unless you're in like the art fairs maybe then but hmm. i sold a few that i mean i also raised my prices a little bit so that can mm-hmm. you know um i was finding out my former dealer in new york obviously had a really really good idea of his market because mm-hmm. i raised the prices like just a little bit then i wasn't selling as much i was like this is really funny there's like a certain income yeah that's willing to spend three thousand dollars but not four thousand <laughs> it's really interesting 
Yeah, it is. Sometimes, though, it's better to just price them higher and figure out a way. And it, it's not always fun, though. I mean, I'm, I mean, if I'm broke in six months, maybe I'll lower them again. Who knows? <laughs> it's not the best thing to do. Yeah, it's such a hard. It's just one of the hardest calls I think to make in in selling artwork is putting that number on it because it's so it's totally you know random. it's so ambiguous it could be so yeah it's totally random because I know painters that you know regularly sell things for twenty thousand but mm-hmm. also some of them did that at one time and now they're not selling so well that's you know yeah that's the kind of the thing that I always worry about is is pushing them up and then you could have a, a, a downturn in the market or you could have just whatever. And then it also depends on your dealer. You know, mm-hmm. I, the guy that I used to have in New York was really aggressive, which is actually what I like. You know, I'm, yeah, I'm working, oh, that's great. I'm and, working yeah. with them for a reason, you know? So, um, I don't know. There's a lot of factors, you know, and I, I think it's, it's better to just not worry about it. If you can manage to survive, you know, I, I definitely want to make more money. I want to have a nicer studio. You know, at this mm-hmm. point, it's I, I have to do the right work as well. You know, there's things that I want to do that I haven't done yet that I feel like will, you know, be good. Um, but um, just well, can you do you want to talk about that for a minute? Is it what's the kind of yeah? Um, well, for, is there like a direction that you're trying to go? Yeah, probably more surrealism, more surrealism, okay. and a little less. Like I love painters like. Egon Schiele, Oscar Kokoschka, I love Van Gogh. Mm-hmm. I like that kind of excitement. So I want to kind of, and I love color like Pierre Bernard, um, you know, the cool. type of work. So I want to kind of combine that with the draftsmanship. So I want, I want like academic drawing, but not so, I mean, I'm also obsessed with like, with Caravaggio and Baroque painting. So it's really hard for me not to go after like the shadows when I see them. But right. I kind of want to brighten everything up and kind of put more areas of flat color on there just because I like how it looks and not, in other words, not maybe be so fixated on just painting something the way it looks, painting how I want it to look more. Right. So you mean flat color on the figure? Because you do a lot of that kind of with your backgrounds, exactly. right? More on, sort of... Probably on the figure and maybe okay. um, so that it's not like modeled figure than flat backgrounds like to me is creating like a like a you know it's almost like a flawed painting if you're treating the figure so differently than the background so i want the painting to be unified you know but i also you know maybe it's working from drawings where i have to make up the color a little bit more Um, and i've done that before and it was so difficult but Mm -hmm. i remember one painting that was almost i was like so so bent out of shape about it because it was so difficult but the final result i actually really liked it but it was like really difficult for me to get through to that point yeah so i don't know and and, and it was so hard that i was like i don't know if i can do this again so and since then i haven't done it and that was what doing a painting from a drawing where i just make up all the color and value it was so difficult it almost scarred me a little bit (laughs) so i haven't done it since then but i feel like that's really in a way what i need to do you know, so, yeah, maybe it's that kind of thing that's so yeah. like you need to kind of go in the direction of the thing that you're <laughs> scared of, that kind of idea. I maybe, guess. you know, it's it's. I get like these visions in my head about what I want the paintings to look like. It's just but I, I tend it's that same thing where if you're like a kind of trained in a realist way, it's it can be very it can feel wrong breaking out of that. Yeah, for sure. It feels wrong. So it's it's very like like and what I've been doing lately is kind of experimenting with the backgrounds and just experimenting with the color a little bit just to see what I can get away with. But I'm um, like, I'm looking at a painting right now here that it's a fairly real painting, but the background I started to kind of create some weird landscape. You know, when I was in high school, I used to paint stuff out of my head all the time. And that's mm-hmm. one thing that I felt like I really need to get back to more, which yeah. I feel like is still sincerely a part of me as opposed to just experimenting because, oh, that guy got that show at that gallery, and maybe if I start doing that, I'll get right. Like, there's that part of it, which does, obviously, occasionally, you're human, it creeps into your head, but but it's not real. But for me, it's more, what's real is taking some of the good, before I had academic training, taking some of that initial spark that made me want to draw in the first place, 
you know, right. which was definitely more imaginative things. And even the first influences, like looking at like Renaissance art, all that was fairly imagination based too. You know, they didn't. There was no. Yeah, definitely. There was no photography then. They right. They got, there was nothing like that. These guys were just really idealizing the figure. When I first started getting interested in like classical art, I was probably fourteen, and I was looking at like Leonardo. Uh huh. I, I and I drew like. I was reading about how he and Michelangelo had this competition where they both drew these battle scenes. Right. There's that incredible Rubens copy of the Leonardo uh, scene, which is lost, but the Rubens is around, and it's one of the most incredible drawings ever. And you can kind of get an idea of how incredible Leonardo's thing must have been. So this idea inspired me. So I drew like this huge battle scene on like 30 pieces of newsprint, like like 18 <laughs> by 24 pieces that I just kind of pieced together yeah. Put it on my wall in my bedroom, and it wasn't really. I mean, it was this huge drawing, you know, and I drew it all to my head, you know, and it was cool. It was awkward, you know, but the fact yeah. is, it was more ambitious than a lot of the work that I do now. And it, right. I just drew it out of my head, and I didn't even think to not. I didn't even think to be intimidated by it. Mm-hmm. I kind of am a little bit envious of that person back then. I was like so nice. Yeah. I didn't know that that was difficult. So I just kind of went for it, and I and I like that idea, you know, mm-hmm. and and I think that if I did more of that, that would be that's like the right way to go. Just right. kind of draw and don't worry if it's a little messed up. Put out something that's a little awkward, and it just might be a more interesting thing in the long run, you know. So what if the proportions aren't quite right, you know? Right. You know, who cares, you know? Um, you know, so that's that's really what it is—is is more imagination, um, which I just find more, frankly, a little more inspiring. You know, mm-hmm. although I still and what I think I'll do is I'll do that, but I also just love painting an academic nude, you know, from a model. And so I think maybe a little bit of both of those things. So if you, you know, also doing the academic nudes from the models, how would you? Would that basically be? Uh, much more like the work that you're doing right now or that's a good question i was thinking about it yesterday i think really what it is is figuring out how to pose the model in a way that just isn't too static you know okay. like I, like Degas, for example is a great one to look at you know for figure for like kind of almost action poses you know although he's probably using photographs which i'm not i'm not against that i i think though that you know like i do yeah, I work from life, and I also work from photos. Although for me, I really prefer working from life. Sure. I can see immediately if someone's using a photo, and I just yeah. That for me, I I can see things better with my naked eye, assuming that I have a good model. When I use a photo, I kind of struggle with modeling the form. Mm-hmm. It's like I can't. I don't have a sense of an intuition with the brush strokes for the most part. When I have a model. It's like I know immediately where to move the brush strokes. It's it's a strange thing, in it. Yeah. But I think that the key is so finding a pose that somebody can do, you know. And and I I think like yesterday I was thinking about it because we had a really academic pose. Uh, mm-hmm. and I was thinking, you know, what am I gonna do? My my class is Wednesday and I have the same model, so I'm thinking I'll just just have him look at the floor, for example. Just for just, if right. what you need to do is just have somebody like twist to the side and look down, or have mm-hmm. them like putting on their socks. You know, something that it looks like they're doing something, reading a newspaper, right. just reading a newspaper, you know, that can take it away from, you know, the strict academic feel, you know, and mm-hmm. don't put them in the middle of the studio, put them over in the corner of the room with like a chair in front of them, you know, put, put something in front of the model, you know, little right. like that, you know what I mean? can make all the difference, you know, so that's what I'm going to try to do anyway. Cool. That I mean, I think that's a really interesting idea. I've always felt like, you know, as an instructor, I feel like there's a certain amount of pressure to kind of pose the model in this great way. And then, <laughs> but, but I've always, you know, no, I, you I do that to a certain degree, but then I don't, I really don't spend a ton of time posing the model. If they hit something that I feel like, you know, is kind of interesting, I, I just kind of hit the hit the go on the timer and, and get it started because I feel like there's going to be something interesting no question. about this pose. Absolutely. I think like, I stress that with my class a lot. I never spend more than five minutes set, setting up the model because I, I feel like if the student 
is too concerned with the pose, then it's probably not the class for them. Because right. the class that I'm teaching is so focused on the technical part of painting that it's not mm-hmm. the pose is irrelevant because I do try to have some movement in the pose. Mm-hmm. I don't like to lose focus on, you know, we're painting the form, we're looking at the lighting, we're looking at the form, we're looking at the color, you know. So my students know we almost have, we have a very similar pose each week. I, I rarely, <laughs> you know, especially for the six-hour pose, I rarely make the model stand unless it's one of the ones that can handle the standing pose. Right. Not all of them can. Yeah. The guy this week we have is great. And although he broke his leg about six months ago, so he's still kind of recovering. But he's really mm-hmm. strong. He's able to kind of do anything. Um, he's just one of those people that's fun to paint. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, so I've only been hiring models lately that I know that I can not have to worry about them. You know, they don't they don't need three heaters. You know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I love uh, low maintenance models. Yeah, are amazing. The only ones I've been hiring lately are like that. You know, I can't deal with the people that need like all you know ten pillows that only can lay down. Right. Why am I paying you? Yeah, I like a mild twist is ooh. Yeah. Back. yeah. I don't know. I've had, I know I've had I've had I've had a model. I had one model. I had him sit in the chair and he was like bolt upright straight ahead and he was having trouble with that and I was thinking, "Well, what what <laughs> what, could like, you what do? can yeah. you do? What can you do?" You know, I'm like, "You fine. I'm like at a loss. I'm like, "You pick the pose, buddy." Get you into it. Yeah, right. Everyone that wants to model. So I had a guy who I was hiring for a little bit and, and um, we were doing not all long poses. Maybe the longest would be like a 40 minute pose or something in the class. And he would just, every time we hit that time, he would just lay down. And that's really <laughs> negative too. And there's that sense that the model just is desperate to get out of there. I, right. I need to, it's hard to concentrate on painting. That's why it's funny. You know, it's one thing I think that a lot of galleries now, I think a lot of gallery owners don't have an eye for painting. Like they just think that if it's realist, that they're all the same. Mm-hmm. And paintings from life are different. Um, I, I just think that there's an extra challenge there because you're dealing with all these these other things. You know, right. you have to really multitask, and it's a real, it's a, it's an, it's a skill, and it's going to be forgotten. You know, because you know, unless people start to to see it more they just think if it's real like they don't see the difference between a painting done from a photo and a painting done from life you know right. they don't and i understand you just want an interesting painting if you're a dealer your job is to sell and if there's a storyline there it, it makes that a little bit easier but i also think there's a there's something real about even an unfinished painting from life there's something gritty and real there mm-hmm. that's really attractive you know, that I think a lot of galleries don't see it. They only see whether the painting is technically finished or not. And and I think right. that, you know, like, like I think Edward Manet, I was thinking about Edward Manet, he would go to Art Basel and he'd probably puke. You know, he'd say, this is a bunch of garbage. <laughs> Edward Manet, one of the most modern realists right. ever. You know, like Freud would probably think it was garbage. And Freud is a great one to look at too. I, I, I lately, as far as posing the model, Mm-hmm. Freud has been really inspiring to me, and and also like you and Uglo, um, painters like that, um, because Freud doesn't care about that. He just gets anybody to pose, and he'll paint the grittiest possible painting, and I and I love that. And, yeah. And and he loves working from life, and he loves the grit and the grime of it, you know, and the kind of like right. really earthy quality. You know, he doesn't care if it's, you know, and I love how he's aggressively not pretty. You know, massively <laughs> uncommercial, mm-hmm. and I I really appreciate that. And that's more what I that's what I want to see. If like, you know, and so for posing a model, the grittier the better. You know, and you know, like it just looks better to me. So I really try to avoid that kind of pretty sort of thing. You know, and just put a person on the model stand, and it doesn't. You don't need to spend a lot of time setting it up. You know, if you mm-hmm. if you're painting the right way. It's just mm-hmm. a matter of of really having the right attitude towards painting, you know. Well, I I guess the main thing is that there's there's challenges from any vantage point, drawing and painting the model, and and it's all the same thing. It's all, you know, the the way you're going to approach 
approach it from any vantage point in that studio is going to be exactly the same way. And that's what I try to get across in my teaching is just that, you know, we're learning a method, we're learning a process, and that process, that method applies no matter where you're at in the studio. Yeah, no question. And I think that if they're excited about painting, they, they'll understand that, you know. Right. Like, uh, it's it's definitely true. I mean, I some people, like, for example, if they're scared about a foreshortening, I try to turn it mm-hmm. out and say, well, actually, having a foreshortening is an advantage for you. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it, it's a chance for you to show depth in your painting. Mm-hmm. Actually, the flat, straight-on view is harder because it's harder to show the spatial depth. So if you've got that crazy for shortening, use it to your advantage and make a more interesting painting. You know, right. So you know stuff like that. You know, but mm-hmm. I agree. Like yesterday, it's funny because I was set up in a spot, but I did. I walked around the room and I did like it. I liked it more from like this other angle. So I said, "Shit, should I move or not?" And I decided I'm going <laughs> to move. I'm going to get it over with and move and start painting. And and, right. and I'm not going to think about it again. Right. So, but now now that I look back, I'm like, you know, I could have just stayed where I was. <laughs> yeah. Fine, you know. I ended up because I I came into the class with a desire not to do a profile because I've been painting a lot of profiles lately, right? And I was like, I need to just paint a painting kind of from the front today because I haven't done that in like a couple months now. Yeah. Of course, I moved to the profile again because I <laughs> I liked how it looked so much I couldn't help it. You know? yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I probably, yeah. Uh, I guess I guess you know you got to just choose the thing that's that's kind of moving you it, in the moment that's true too it's i think yeah it's a trade off it's some if you really like something it's fine it's it's fine to admit that you you know obviously you're going to see a certain view and it's going to look amazing and if you just move a foot to the right it's not going to look as good you can tell if you have an eye for if you've looked at a lot of sculpture that you know, right. eye for poses you can tell it looks better too sure but i know what you mean with students sometimes it's like you know you you just need to draw for a while. Once you can draw a little more, then worry about it, <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, yeah. I guess that was, that's what it comes down to. It's like we've got bigger fish to fry than, than you worrying about, you know, <laughs> I tr- Get, getting the perfect angle I here. I persuade that. Like if I have a student like that, I try to quickly get that out of them, you know, so mm-hmm. we don't have to, to worry about that sort of thing. Right. It's not really something that's worth even worrying about in terms of learning how to paint. So yeah. Anyway. Right. Yep. So what's what's going on in the studio for you right now? You mentioned so yesterday you were at the Lime, Lime Art Associ- Lime Art Association. Yeah. Is that something you're doing that's going to send out to a gallery or part of a upcoming show? I would or? love to show it, although it's not. It's just kind of a one-off painting. I mean, I've literally got about fifty like small kind of demo paintings uh-huh. I would like to actually put together as a show, but I'm kind of deciding how I'm going to do it because they're just pure paintings. There's no storyline there. Right. Very formal. But, you know, the way I want to present them is kind of the way, I don't know if you know like you and Uglo's work, but some, mm-hmm. yeah, someone like that, you know, he's just doing simple figure paintings. Right. So, but, but I think these are good paintings. And, and, a, and I do want to show them. I haven't quite decided how I'm going to do that yet. But, um, you know, like the painting I did yesterday is basically, it's done. I'm not going to work on it anymore. I could work on it a little more, but I would have to do it here without the model. Mm-hmm. So, And I could. I mean, I'm looking at it now, and, you know, there's a couple things in it that maybe could be adjusted a little, but I think, like, the feet are a little bit big. But um, other than <laughs> that, you know, and it's funny because yeah. I made them smaller at the last minute, too, but I didn't make them small enough. <laughs> so other than that, though, I think that it's, could be a completed painting um i have another bigger figure that i was working on that i got annoyed with that i put off to the side it, it looks it's probably about you know 80 percent done mm-hmm. it was really difficult though i haven't been doing as many big ones lately and then i decided to go back to do a bigger one um and it was really difficult but i'm you know almost finished with it i'm just debating i'm trying to figure out the background because it was another one of those things where I had posed the model in my my living room, but I have all this stuff behind that I've put in a lot of paintings, and I've kind of decided, okay, I, mm-hmm. I want to kind of take this painting a little further. So I started just putting these big shapes of color in the background, kind of in some design that I liked. Right. But the trick is, like we were talking before, is then making that seem like it actually has anything to do with the model. You know, it's like I'm using a totally different technique on the model right. in the background, which 
isn't really what I want to do. So I'm trying to think, okay, I've spent all this time modeling this form and the model here, and I like the sculptural look. So that painting is kind of like in this limbo state right now. Uh, yeah. And so I've got this, you know, I've got a couple smaller figures that I've been working on, and this one bigger one, um, and that's what I've got here right now. Okay. I've got about, you know, probably I'm, I'm going to count right now, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Yeah, I've got a probably about twenty. 20 to 25 new paintings that I haven't shown yet. So I'm wow. almost ready to have a show. It's just not going to be... I don't really have a theme for a lot of these paintings, though. And my goal was to kind of have a theme for the next show I did, even if it was only five paintings. So what I'm thinking is I need to get five kind of similar paintings that could give the show a theme. So, like, color-wise or... What? Yeah. Like, how would you be looking at theme as far as those go? It would have something to do with the color, but I'd say it would be more content-wise. Right. You know, right now, the most experimental one I have here is all color. It's like, I basically just put the paint on the canvas straight out of the tube as intensely as I could. And that's sure. something I want to do more of, because I find it really exciting to kind of mm-hmm. really put some really bold colors on there and try to make it work. Um that's just exciting. Um, and I think it visually looks really good. It doesn't really work with the kind of, you know, if you're doing a figure and you're modeling the form, it's difficult to kind of cr- to combine those two things. So right. I'm trying to figure out a way to do that. Um, and I really have only tr- done it in one painting so far. Um, the other ones, you know, the one thing I've been excited about, though, is painting, like lately, with much brighter lighting in the studio not as much like super dark light and dark contrast i find that that helps me kind of modernize things a little more kind of towards like lucian freud's lighting uh, mm-hmm. you know where i just turn on all the fluorescent lights in the room and paint that way i've been really liking that because i found that that it makes me feel like i'm a little more connected to modern painting um and it connects the model to the environment like we were talking about the environment being separated from the model, and I don't want that. I want to be, you know, connected somehow. So yeah, for a theme, I've got a whole bunch of ideas I wrote down, mm-hmm. of like these, this like little folder of like titles and ideas, you know. But I, I just have to do the paintings. <laughs> Simple right. little part of actually having to do the painting. So when you say you said you maybe you have say, uh, you said twenty paintings you've got about. Right now that you could... actually have more like 30, but 20 that, okay. 20 that I like. All right. So you got 20 that you like. So is the plan now to cut, or, or could it be, would this be something you might do is to then go call up one of your galleries and say, hey, I've got, I basically have a show in the bag here. Do, we, do you want to put this on the schedule? Yeah, that's exactly what I'll do. Um, okay. And um, that's what I usually do anyway. Okay. Um, so that's so basically you're you're initiating the shows that you've done. Yeah. Or occasionally, okay. the gallery will say let's do something, but lately it hasn't been like that. Lately, it's been me kind of just having to kind of just take some initiative. That's cool. I, I've never thought of 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 it going that way. I've never had a one man show, but I always imagine it's just sort of them going, "Hey, yeah, do you want to schedule a show in a year from now?" But yeah. that's cool. I like. That. I mean, I found. I've had that, you know, I mean, when I was in with a place in New York, I had a show every year with them, mm-hmm. and it was just like something we did. It was just so people, you know, it just became right. became this routine. I would have a show every year, um, and I had probably, they had a gallery in Boston and in San Francisco, so I would alternate. One year I'd have one in New York, then I'd have one in Boston. I think I had five solo shows in New York, probably five in Boston, and I had one in San Francisco. Um, over a 10-year period. Cool. So that worked out well for a while. It was a little bit draining after a while, though, so I kind of had to, like... You know, when I quit with that gallery, that was one of the reasons that I quit with them was because I wanted to have a little more control over the way I promoted my stuff, and I didn't really love the roster of artists that they had. It it Uh wasn't really quite the type of work I wanted to show with. So... um, 
And would you spend that? Would you spend that year painting for that for that show? Yes. Yeah. Usually okay. it would take me about a year because I would do. I mean, I probably do about fifty paintings a year, but I only would show maybe twenty of them. Okay. And I've got a lot of paintings here. I just would never show. That, right. Who that were? I wouldn't say total failures, but they're not exactly things I'm totally happy with. Sure. So, you know. Yeah. So now, though, I don't, like I said, I don't have anything on my schedule right now. I mean, I've been in a couple group shows lately. Like, there's a show in New York opening Thursday that's a group, like, drawings show. Um, but mm-hmm. um, I'm not in the gallery. It's just a, a show. Um, and that's all I've been doing lately is kind of going for group shows. But I really do want to find another gallery in the, in either New York or Boston. I'm just not sure. It's it's tricky, you know. I'm kind of like in this weird middle ground. I'm I'm not really academic. I'm not really modern. So right. finding the right space is important to me. You know, finding you know I want to have a big open space. So I I want to show in a really modern gallery. But a lot of the ones I love don't love the type of work that I do. <laughs> they don't show mm. anything remotely related to what I do. I want to show with crazy artists. I want to put my paintings next to non-representational art. That's what I I want to be considered modern. I don't see that the problem is the divisions. To me, I, I yeah get rid of the divisions. But I know that a lot of galleries don't think that way. A lot of galleries look at my work and think it's old hat. Probably, you know. Like, see, that's that's interesting to me because I look at your work, and I definitely feel that there's a modern sensibility there. I mean, the thing that ties it together is that you're obviously incredibly skilled and like. There are very few people who draw as well as you do. And then, like, you have this incredibly unique look to your painting, which is, like, sculptural and just the values, it's just so dead on. Like, so it's obviously just incredibly skilled, but then the way that you treat a lot of the other space outside of the figure, it's it's obviously has a very modern sensibility to me. And I, I feel like it's a little bit strange that, I'm just surprised I, that I guess that you might be getting lumped in with something it, that feels old fashioned. I can only say what I've heard from from actual gallery owners, you know. Yeah. You know, like it's weird, you know. I think some people just don't know what to make of it. I think that a lot of artists appreciate it. Right. But that Yeah, I I I kind of think of you sort of as as like an artist artist yeah. like it's, we're all going damn. Like, if only could. Well, I'm like if only one of these artists had a really nice gallery too. That's right. kind of what I've been thinking lately, because a lot of dealers, man, the one thing I've found is just because they have a beautiful gallery doesn't mean they're smart or know anything about painting. Mm-hmm. Some of the most beautiful galleries, some of the owners just are really limited with their knowledge of like art and art history. Like That's not the case with all of them, but some of them it's really surprising. And uh, on the other hand, some of them... The reason is, is because they're focused on selling this stuff, you know, and, and, and a lot of, yeah, yeah, it's hard to get away from that. I mean, the bottom line is they're, they have a business. Exactly. Yeah. Like it's this, it's this thing that it, you know, selling art is also this incredibly spiritual and there's all this other stuff attached to art. But, you know, I think so many of them, they could be selling, you know, paint buckets or anything to them, it's just they have a product exactly. that they're trying to sell. Exactly it. Exactly it. I mean, it's having worked with a gallery in New York for ten years. That's exactly what it is. I mean, they need yeah. to sell paintings, even if it doesn't come out right on the surface. That is really what it's about. You know, yeah. No matter how kind of sophisticated they try to seem like they are, unless they just have money and don't have to worry about the rent. The rent there in a gallery in New York is unbelievably. Oh yeah. I remember the one guy I worked with. The rent was it was thirty thousand a month. Yeah. Um, and he wasn't even in a really great space, but it was pretty nice. But, um, yeah, it was interesting. I think, like, I had one show in Chelsea, you know, for the gallery briefly was in the space right across the street from the Marlboro Gallery. Mm-hmm. Big show there. And I think that my show was a little considered a little bit out of place in the Chelsea, like, scene. <laughs> yeah. You know? And I look back and I think, damn, you know, I wish I had taken better advantage of that and done some more experimental work, you know. Yeah, I guess that would be the, I, yeah, that would be the time for I wasn't it. really locked into the, what 
people were showing as much then. I really didn't know as much. Right. And now, since I've been kind of struggling a little bit to like get a foothold with some new galleries, I've been a little bit more cognizant of what galleries are showing. And it seems mm-hmm. like what a lot of galleries are showing now is like photorealism or like really big paintings of like people's heads, you know. Yeah. But <laughs> not real painting. And I don't think like Lucian yeah. Freud. I don't think he would like any of it. He'd say this is all a bunch of crap. I don't. I, yeah. I don't know that he would, but I bet he would. And, and Lucian Freud is like revered, you know. But you know, with a few exceptions, like there's some really good painters that are doing really well, you know. Yeah. But, uh, anyway, yeah. I, I guess what I want to do is, I just want somehow maybe it's like a total dream though, but I I have this idea of bringing people together where I I would rather have a show where I had like four completely unrelated artists together. You know, I want to put academic painting next to like non-representational painting and have it accepted as okay to do. You know, right. Like, that's why, you know, I think it's interesting. Like, like somebody like Vermeer, Vermeer is like revered pretty much universally now. Even the biggest galleries love Vermeer for example, you know? yeah. and, but they would never show anything else. And I think that's interesting. Like, why is it that Vermeer is revered? Like David Hockney loves Vermeer, uh, <laughs> but even though he went on a crusade to try to prove that all these guys were yeah. not really skilled. But the funny thing is, is that he kind of just proved the opposite. He actually proved right. more skilled when he's like, see, here's my drawings that I did. <laughs> I here's my drawings, you know, and they were kind of like, well, <laughs> dude, if you could actually if your if your eye was a little better, you'd see that your drawings really aren't that good. But at least at least he appreciates Ang, you know. At least he appreciates Vermeer and Rembrandt. Um, but the funny thing is, is that like, why is it viewed as if you're if you're trying to get good at that, that that's somehow bad by some people? You know? Yeah. Like you know, some like I said to you, some days I kind of feel like I should speak up for realists a little bit more. But I feel sure. like. It's almost like sometimes I think, though, that if you're lashing out a little bit, that might have the opposite effect. It might actually push away. Like, I'm trying to find a gallery that's modern to show my work because I want it to be viewed as modern painting. It, right. And that may never happen for me. I don't know. But I know that for it may for someone. You never know. It's it's really the climate, and it's so it's always changing, so you never know. You know, and, and like if you're kind of the flavor of the moment, that's probably not really great either, because then people are not going to care about you just as quickly. You know, right? Like a friend of mine, you know, remember the thing that, you know, Richard Prince was doing his Instagram photos at the Gagosian. <laughs> you know, his big thing is stealing other people's work, and he's done a lot of other stuff too. But his thing was stealing other people's work, and it was this huge controversy. And he's like, "Yeah, good controversy. Like, talk about me more." Yeah. So like, and actually, a couple people that I know were actually in one of the photos. Oh wow! And like, he stole the photo off this girl's Instagram. Oh. He put it in there, and so there they are on the wall, the Gagosian for wow. ninety thousand dollars. And I'm like, wow, look at that! that that's oh. the photo of you and, and and her boyfriend at the time. I thought that was really funny, and I was thinking, you know, you could probably wow. take that same photo, walk a block away from the Gagosian and you wouldn't be able to sell it for $200. You know? Yeah, no way. It's just the fact yeah. that you've put it on the wall there. Of course, those girls that were, there was one girl or some whatever band that was in one of the photos that mm. took the photos and was like, oh, you can buy Richard Prince's for 90000 or here, we'll sell you ours for $90. So I thought that was <laughs> really great. Oh, that's funny. They did that? They put it out there? I can't remember. Oh, that's cool. It's like this all-girl band. I think I can't remember. That's cool. But it was interesting, and I was thinking, that's really funny, and that's really great. But I'm sure the people in the gallery, they still probably sold all of those. So Richard Prince is a little bit like Donald Trump. It's like the more outrageous, the better for him because, oh, he's ripping people off, and they're talking about him, and he's like, yeah, talk about me. The worst thing would be if nobody gave a shit. Right. would be the worst thing. Like if, you know, if nobody was up in arms about Trump, that would be bad for him. You know, it's his... Oh, he would disappear. It, yeah. He disappear. It's his brand, you know. So yeah. it is, you know, whether you agree with him or not, I mean, it's kind of scary, but it's also like you can totally see it's working for him. Sure. I'm like, so that's the way it is. It's like, who's talking about you, you know? Like, yeah, who... who, who you... Right. And it's also a matter of, 
you know, I'm going to, we don't really need to get into the whole business of it, but it's so much a matter of who you know, or who's talking about you, or who's writing about you. It doesn't matter if you're good, it matters if somebody says you're good. Right. So that's a big part of it, too. But there's a lot of galleries that I love, but I, I don't think that they're interested in an actual painting. You know, they're more interested in, like, a... Who knows what they are? It's I think it's it's not that they aren't interested in painting. I think it's more just there's a, so many artists out there. If you're lucky enough to get into a gallery, that gallery is going to promote you. They don't have time to necessarily take on new people. Right. They've already kind of got their roster that they're promoting, you know. So mm-hmm. I'm only starting to becoming more business oriented. I I really didn't give a damn about any of it <laughs> fifteen years. Mm-hmm. Now, have you ever tried to sell paintings just from your website or just on your own? Yeah, I've sold a lot of paintings on my own. Okay. I just um, I'm not. I just remade my website so I can put my own work on there. In a, okay. I may try to do it a little bit more, but it's not something I, I always do. But I, I mean, I've sold a lot of paintings myself. You know, mm-hmm. galleries. I, I'm able to get higher prices, so that's good. You know. Right. But um. You know, yeah, I do a little of both. Are people, do you get, do you do a lot of commission work? No, not a lot. I usually, maybe like two portraits a year. It's okay. about what I've been doing. Um, I think last year I did two. So um, I haven't offered to do one this next year. I just haven't finalized anything yet. It's not my favorite thing to do. Usually I find with commissions, I end up working a lot harder for less money. It just, right. like, because then you're dealing with a client and, you know, it's always, I always feel like I have to just make them happy. Mm-hmm. That's my main thing now is if I get a portrait commission, I just want them to like it. So, you know, like if I think like, you know, like a lot of them just want it to look like a photograph. Like right. just, and like now if I get the sense that they can't really sit, I'll just take a bunch of photos and, and do a portrait from that. You know, unless they are really good at sitting, which is obviously what I'd like to do, but a lot of people don't care for that. So it has to, it depends on the clients. So it's not really my favorite thing to do. Right. But if I do it now, I'd, I'd, I'm like, just let's make sure they're happy. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, it's, right. like, it's not my favorite thing to do. You know, like I've only done a few, you know, the few portrait commissions I've done from life. I've probably done, you know, seven or eight where I did the whole thing from life where a lot, like I'd say half of them worked out really great. The other half, I think they were good paintings, but I could sense that the viewer, that they probably would have liked a more photorealist sort of thing. And mm. They were real. They were real looking. But a lot of times when somebody's posing, they can't, they end up not doing the most glamorous pose. Right. It's difficult to maintain. Yeah. So they're just kind of sitting there and it's a little more static. So. Mm-hmm it's a rare thing where you get a, uh, you get the sitter that's really excited to just do a simple pose. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, well, Hollis, thanks so much for doing this, man. It's been, it's been really fun talking. Appreciate you doing this. My pleasure. <laughs> All right, man. I'll talk to you again later. Right, thank you. Bye. Bye. Okay. I'm back. I hope you all enjoyed my chat with Hollis. Um, I am very interested to see the direction that Hollis's work goes in from here. He he mentioned taking a more um, surrealist approach with his work, maybe kind of marrying um, academic drawing using brighter colors and um, some flat shapes on the figure. Um, I, for one, am... Uh, kind of hope his work doesn't deviate too far from from what we've seen from him up to now just because I love that work so much but it'll be it'll be exciting to see what he does um he's just such a great artist so that'll be that'll be exciting um okay switching gears a little bit I hope everyone had a great Christmas and New Year um I picked the Rocky intro because it's the new year and it's that time to get excited and pumped up about all the things we're going to tackle and accomplish this year. And um, I hope everyone's setting lofty but attainable goals. Um, a couple of the things I want to do are to continue this podcast, um, putting out at least one episode a month. And um, I have some exciting guests lined up and 
Um, <clears throat> another thing that I want to do is uh, there's three paintings that I've been wanting to make for a long time, and I I definitely have to do those paintings this year. These are ideas that have been floating around in my head for years and been sketched in sketchbooks over and over, and um, I'm going to make myself execute those paintings, for better or worse, uh, this year. I'll basically figure figures and environments. Um, so it'll be a different from all the still lifes that I've, I've made over the last five years or so, but they're the kind of paintings that I've always wanted to do. So this is the year I'm stating it publicly. So now I really have to execute, right? Um, so if I don't do it, you can all call me a big baby. Okay. Um, but you won't have to do that because I'm going to make the paintings. All right. Um, okay. So tell your friends about the podcast. Um, subscribe. Give me super high ratings on iTunes. Um, and let me hear from you. Leave leave comments on the website. Or you can email me, dannygrant79 at yahoo. Um, and, and let me know what you think about the show. Do you love it? Do you hate it? Are you somewhere in between? Um, all right. Here's to a happy, healthy, productive, achievement-filled 2016, everybody. See you next time.